Thought Bubble Audio. Look, up in the sky! You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Welcome to Beer with Geeks with Tim and Frank. Who are you? I'm Batman. I am Iron Man. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Hi, Christopher. I'm Nero. My name is Inigo Montoya. You're a wizard, Harry. A couple of guys with a couple of beers and a whole lot of pop culture nostalgia. Make it so, number one. Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Name the dog in the ant. Life finds a way. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Now sit back and crack open a cold one. Because it's time for Beer with Geeks. It comes in paints? Shaken, not stirred. Great Scott! I was way off. I knew it started with an S, though. Hi, and welcome to Beer with Geeks. We're two geeks geek out with beer. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my man who has a pretentious superhero name. It's Frank. How are you today? Invincible. Yeah, damn it. He's a Viltramite. Invincible. <laughs> That's all I got. That's I like good. the... He's a Viltramite. He's a Viltramite. Invincible. Invincible. Frank, we're here to talk about Invincible, but before we do that, what are you drinking? I'm not. I'm not. <gasps> Frank. I'm sorry. Okay, look, I, I don't know how much I've talked about this on the show, but I just bought a new house. Uh, we just moved in. It's We know. Uh, You've mentioned it every week for a year. Know, for a no, year. it hasn't been bought a year. A it's been like... Three weeks. Just moved in uh, a few days ago, uh, a little whatever, a few days ago, and I have not had a chance to go buy beer. <laughs> I, and the process of moving means that I drank all my beer because how stressed I was. <laughs> that makes sense. So I am. That I am out of. I am out of beer. Um, and and so I got I got nothing. I got some wine around here, you know. And I got a little bit of liquor in the cabinet, but I don't have a beer. I mean that that makes sense to me. I have not bought a new house, am not moving, and I am also out of ah, beer. Okay. So my excuses are very little, except that I, I just finished one off and I just haven't you know, I haven't made it to the liquor store yet. So we're doing a um we're doing a dry, dry beer with geeks to match our humor. Am I right? But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, now the bell. The bell's really yes, the mm. bell. The bell's the only the thing the only thing carrying us. We don't have beer. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, yes, my mm-hmm. beer comes from the nothing region. Um, it is air, and um, doesn't really have much flavor. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm pretty unsatisfied with it. I should have gotten something else. If your air has flavor, you should be incredibly worried. Yeah, well, I don't know. They say that uh, carbon monoxide has no no odor and no flavor, so this must be fine, right? Yes, maybe I don't know. Um, you know what's better than just fine is the writing of Mr. Robert Kirkman. Yes, indeed, Frank. Let's talk about Invincible. You and I both read the comic, right? Yes. The Image yes. comic that came out such and such a number of years ago from Robert Many Kirkman. Years ago, at this um, point. Ryan Ryan Otley yes. was the second artist. I can't remember who the first artist was. Corey Walker. Yes, I did that from Good memory. Job. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I did that. Um so anyway, Invincible is a would you call Invincible a satire? Ooh, I don't know if I'd call it a satire. It doesn't it's not really satirical in the sense that it's not 
poking fun at a genre or like no okay i would call it deconstructionist, deconstructionist though. i would agree with yes yeah we call it not necessarily in the way that watchmen is complete deconstruction of superheroes but it certainly is but invincible certainly is playing with genre stereotypes yes. you know like you know like whether that be the the superhero archetype or the hero's journey or what it or um maybe appropriate genre appropriateness or expectations or anything mm-hmm. like that. So I think it it's playing I think it plays with all of those things really well. And the comic does a great job. I loved the book. I was really sad when it ended, actually. I and you know it ended on its terms, right? It was like that was the end of the story. Right. Which is which is what I think Kirkman is is really one of the I think he's an underrated writer of, of his generation. And uh, get going. He has two of the biggest he has two of like the biggest I, I, um yeah like independent series of all time and we're like who who Rob, right who right his work is who? not todd mcfarland his, right yeah <laughs> yeah his work is not necessarily underrated like everyone knows the walking dead it's a it's something that even if you're not in it is a household name uh the walking but, dead is but he's, but he's not, not a household right. name right exactly mm-hmm. exactly so yeah i think he is underrated um and uh, I, I think Invincible is just fantastic. Invincible, to me, strikes a lot of the, and especially when it was first starting out, uh, the, the early couple of volumes of the trades, which is how I read it, really strikes me as it's very much in the same vein as as the the first, you know, the early years of Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man, right? It's it's a very sure. similar tone and style of storytelling and, and um, appealed to me for many of the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it the the comic really evolves into a, a different thing than it than it starts yes. in. Yeah, and um, and we we'll, we could talk about that another time. But we're really here to talk about Amazon Prime's first season, ten episodes, um, renewed for seasons two and three already. Um, and so um, I don't. I wonder if that means that they already knew it was coming and they ordered third, like they ordered thirty episodes because that's pretty standard with animation a good way to get animation out the door pretty quickly is that you order a big chunk of episodes and then you split those episodes into different seasons you know so that way you're not waiting years for the next right. one which is why sometimes shows get canceled even it feels like they just showed up but they got canceled after two or three seasons as opposed to one because they already pumped out a bunch of episodes um and so, so I, but I assume that it's, I, I assume that it's been good. I felt like it was a slow trickle that people kind of built up into. I didn't know a lot of people who watched it um, and some who thought it was, they thought it was pretty slow at first, but I think that they're maybe not like, they're not in it for the long game. Mm. They're like, I'm not surprised by the, by, I'm not surprised in the first 10 minutes. So it must be boring. I think that's like, true. I think that there's definitely a lot of that. I did kind of feel like it was a little slow to get moving, though. And I I, yeah. I was in the tank for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think that has to do with animation. Mm. And I think that we are trained from a young age to expect faster moving stories through animation because we're not looking. We tend not to look at animation as an adult medium, but we look at it as a kid's medium and we expect that kind of tempo and rhythm that you would get from a Disney film or a Don Bluth movie or something like that. Uh, Although Don Bluth movies move real slow. If you, 
if you watch that if you go back and watch but them. like look at like a but, dreamworks animation film and how those are like mm-hmm. colorful musical uh acts fart jokes just like boom 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 like there's some yeah, a kind lot of, of fart jokes in the every, prince of egypt yeah for a few seconds mm-hmm. yeah no but you're you're right. actually there is a fart joke in the prince of egypt damn <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, yeah, shoot. I was I, I thought I had you. Um, but um, you're right. You're right. They're designed and they're designed like designed and built for kids like Illumination Studios, you know, with the minions yes. and the whatever. They're just not they're just not in it for a lot like for the for the kid audience. And Invincible is definitely not in it for the uh, they're not in it for the adult audience and Invincible is not in it for the kid no. audience. This is hardcore hardcore adult television and it doesn't start that way And the first episode is really it well spoilers for invincible from here on out but it like it uh, it lulls you into a false sense of security um because yeah there's action yeah there's this yeah there's this but it doesn't get gory until the end of the episode and that's really yes that's the that's the that's what separates invincible from the other superhero flock right you know you can break as many bones or stab as many people as you want in dc or marvel comics but at the end of the day they're probably going to come back to life and be fine and this show is very violent but also very bloody and gory at at, at times and eyeballs flying yes everywhere flames Flames on the side of my face. Flames, yeah. brains splattered everywhere. Like there's there's a lot of violence and a lot of so flames, brains, and automobiles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Who needs beer when you've got dry jokes? <laughs> these dry jokes are making me thirsty for beer. Um, yeah. Yeah. These dry jokes are making me thirsty. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, you were gonna say something. I, I was just gonna say, yeah. It starts. It starts. I mean, it, it's not like it's it, it's not kid friendly from the beginning. Like there, it, it's there is swearing, there is some violence, but but even if you were to say like, all right, it's fine for like whatever. My kids heard swearing, it's fine. It gets real bloody pretty quickly, so it, it's really not for children. Yeah. But it, I actually watched the first episode with my wife, who's not into violence or blood or anything like that. And so we like I was watching because I wanted to watch it. I was playing, which is so rare. I was like, I'm going to put this on the TV. You're not in the room and I'm just going to watch this thing. And she like came and sat down. She's like, oh, what's this? So I'm like, oh, it's Vince It's like, you know, like he's like he's the dad is like a Superman type, you know, like, you know, alien comes from other planet, blah, blah, blah. His son's getting his powers. It's his coming of age story, so on and so forth. And she was like, oh, okay. So she was kind of watching it. And then Nolan Omni-Man just kills the guardians of the globe, completely annihilates them. And I watched the shadow on her face kind of fall and drop. And, and by the end, she was like, that was awful. Why would you make that? Why would anybody watch that? Why is that a thing? Like, I'm in a terrible mood now. Oh. Like, I know. And I was like, oh, sorry. So I had to, like, watch Invincible in secret because <laughs> I knew it was only going to get it was only going to get yeah, worse. I mean, truthfully, yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it does. It, it comes right out of the gate, though, with that at the, at the end of the first episode, which uh, overall, I think this was pretty faithful to the to the comics. Like, like in broad oh, yeah. strokes, it was quite faithful. Um, but I do feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that incident with Nolan and the Guardians, that didn't happen as early in the comic as it did in the show. Did it, it did not. It yeah, did it not. I so. it happened. You had a couple. Well, I think the first episode is a couple of issues. It's not yeah. all the same issue. I think, but 
you know, when you got 10 episodes, you got to learn what to keep and what to cut, I think. But if I think if you didn't include it in the first episode, you would have just shown up and been like, here's just standard superhero fare. You know, it's a coming look, it's a coming of age. He's got powers. He's got the suit maker. But his dad's a hero, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, OK, that was fine. That was good. Yeah. That wasn't anything to write home about. But the twist is what maybe keeps people That's in exactly, again for I think the next. You're exactly right. I think that it was it was good. It was good story structure to move that to the beginning of the first step, the end of the first episode, because yeah, that, that, that hooks people in. I, I think about our conversation about um, Falcon and the winter soldier, which I keep almost calling the captain of the winter soldier, but that's at the mm. end of the show. Um, but the Falcon and the winter soldier, I felt like the first episode kind of ended and there was, I guess I'm so conditioned now to have there be some kind of a twist or whatever, but I didn't really feel that at the end of the first episode of that show. But here, no, there really there wasn't. wasn't. Yeah. That's why I think I said on the podcast, Maybe they should have given us the first couple together so we'd have a twist at the end or whatever. But, um, you said a oh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, yes, I was like, because, yeah, because this one, you this had one, they the gave first you the twist three at the, at the end of the first, at the end of the first episode. Um, which I think is, is a good way to, to draw people in, especially with a streaming show when it's basically at the end, if they've made it to the end of the episode, this is when they're going to decide, do I keep going or do I stop? Mm-hmm. And you know, like, do I do I hit the next episode? Like, hit, let it, let it autoplay to the next episode, or do I back out and go watch reruns of Friends? And right, and by putting a twist at the end of it, people are like, all right, all right, I'm in for one more. I'm in at least one more. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think the strength of the show comes from a few things. One, I like the story. The story's fine. I think you're, it could move at a faster clip. I think that's it's probably my the biggest attractor for me. I'm like, they're about 40 to 50 minute episodes a piece. Yep. And there's eight episodes in the first season. And so you're watching almost eight hours of animation. Yeah. And like, that's like, that's a lot of animation. Your eye can actually really only take so much after so much time. I think that's true. Yeah. And, I think it's true. It, and so, it yeah. It all starts sort of blur so together it, at, at a certain point, right? Right. Well, live action, even if it's just people talking, right? you know, like, and that's that's what we pay to see most movies do. It's just adults talking to one another about stuff. Sure. And you're like, oh, what entertainment? You know, like, look at that. I really like the way that guy talked to the other lady. Yeah, they said it in a good way. Yeah. Money well spent $20. I really anyway. she felt the things that she said. That's right. You know, otherwise I wouldn't have believe them all right well well done everyone so uh, but i think like there's the way your eye catches humans or is very different than the way that your eye perceives animation and there's more to look at even if it doesn't look like there's more to look at your eye is noticing more things about it, it perceives more things in humans than it does in animation and so when people are just talking to each other in animation and they're not really doing anything you get bored. That's a hundred percent true. And there's, there is plenty of science to back that up. I work in, in marketing and advertising and one of the things in, in digital advertising and one of the fundamental truths about digital advertising is that if there's a picture of a person in your ad, it's going to catch more eyeballs than if there's a nice graphic or some kind of design, you know, something abstract or whatever, it might be beautiful, but the human brain is wired to look for other human faces and it will, right. the eyes will be drawn to that subconsciously. So yeah, having, even if you have the same scene where it's just dialogue in an animated show versus in a live action show, I think people are going to be more engaged and pick up and listen more to the live action version because they are trained to look for a human face. Whereas an animated one is not, isn't 
is fundamentally biologically not as as much of a draw. But the, right. the animated format lends itself so beautifully to this to the story. It does, this, and uh, it does. It it is its strength yes. too, and I want to talk about that. I, I do want to talk about that. Your the eye thing and the human form made me think of that new Geico commercial where the the little um little guy is like, and it's really about eye contact, yes. and he just stares at you. And I'm like, this is hilarious because I'm staring at nothing. Like you know, like really, like I'm not really making eye contact with anything, and so it's not unsettling the way that it would be if it was something with a pupil, yes, I yes. guess. Um. But, um, but yeah, the animation I think is actually its strength. The the way they format the cells and the backgrounds with the flying mm. is the thing that real and the cityscapes and what that's the thing that really sold me on this. There's a lot of really cool perspective work in in how they're utilizing the space, and it was just really really cool, really well done. They did a really nice job with that. I, I agree. The the, the flying. Um, the flying sequences were, were really nicely done. There's some really beautiful, like landscape, like cityscapes and sunsets and mm-hmm. things like that, that are, that are like the sun setting over the city that are really, really cool and beautiful, like pieces of art, honestly, you know, um, moving, yep. moving art. Um, I really like that. The voice talent is, is top notch. Excellent. Yeah. Steven Yoon. Excellent, Excellent, Mark Grayson. And he's having Does a, a hell great of a year, job. by the way, right? He is having a hell of a year. Yeah, between that and Minari, he's like he's going he's going strong. People are recognizing him, and I Me like too. it. Yeah, Sandra O oh as his yes. mom. Um, Deborah oh, Debbie. Always, cl- I always clutch with Sandra O. Oh, you can't go wrong with Sandra O. Oh. J.K. Simmons, the MVP of anything that he's Absolutely. in. Truly, um, he has a lot of be- um, um, J.K. Simmons has a lot of animation. Uh, work under him already so he already really knows how to work the microphone and like where to inflect and when not to and because that's true animation is not just acting with the microphone in front of you you have to say things in a way that your face can't be seen yes and that's where some people get it and some people don't that's right um and but he's he's he was a a great great choice for nolan like i don't think you could get you probably can't get much better than him. Uh, yeah. Maybe Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Maybe oh, what's his name? Mad Men. Um Oh, John Hamm. John Hamm. Like these are the types, but J.K. Simmons has the voice in a way that no it's, one else it's does. It's funny because you mentioned Jeffrey Dean Morgan and John Hamm, who maybe look more age appropriate for for the part in re- if they mm-hmm. were to play the, the part in live action. Um, and maybe that's why our minds are drawn to, to people like them, but and, and yep. honestly, I was a little bit skeptical when I heard it was J.K. Simmons because I was like, well, he doesn't look the part, but it's animation, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's um, correct. And, and he, I agree. I think, ha- you know, having watched the whole series now, I like, I can hardly imagine someone doing a better job than him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the smart thing that the sh- that the showrunners did is they rounded out the cast with a lot of actual, like, I shouldn't say actual voice actors, but real voice acting talent, Clancy Brown. Um, Greg Griffin, like these, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. Yes. These are these are people that make their living off of animation, and so they they go they go it's hard true. and work off one. And another. you know what else they did though that I thought was interesting because they did that they did they people who are working voice actors and who are like make their living from voice acting. They had lots of folks from that world, but then they had a lot of on camera character actors 
like Jason Mansukis and Reginald Val, Val Johnson. Yep. Like um, what? Yeah. Like that. Such a like uh, not obscure, but such a, like a, a interesting, unique. Unique is the word. A unique pick for animation. Where you would use Reginald Val Johnson because he's a known face and he's you know, everyone recognizes him from from TV and Die Hard and whatever else. But like you wouldn't necessarily think to put him in an animated film. And maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe he does a ton of animation and I'm, I'm just off and someone will tell me if I'm wrong. But to me, that was such an interesting pick. And, and Jason Manzoukas, I recognized his voice immediately. Zachary Quinto recognized his voice immediately. What an interesting group of people they put together. Walton Goggins as Cecil. Um, oh, Walter Goggins was great. Didn't sound like didn't him. Sound it was like incredible. Him. Totally had me fooled. Yeah. Although, do you know, well, Reginald, uh, Reginald Vell Johnson um was um oh no you know what i was thinking for uh, for a split second um i thought he was a voice actor for um i thought he was a voice actor for another show but i'm thinking of somebody else because reginald Bill johnson was family matters yes. right in die hard yeah um no that's a great great Mahershala point Ali. i mean there's some other Marshad Dijman Hinzu, Ezra Miller, Jonathan Groff. These are Jonathan Groff. Like, I missed that. Yeah, he was uh, Rick Sheridan. He was huh. in one episode. Okay. Yeah, so, so like, John Hamm was actually in two episodes. He he played Steve. Oh, okay. You know, who okay. Steve? Steve. Yeah, but um, but you know, uh, you're right. There's a there's a Jillian Jacobs. Yes. Oh, like, she there's, was great there's at some, Adam Eve. Yeah, that was a strong. That was a strong was pick. A really strong I thought pick, that yeah. you know, I think all of them were really strong. Where I'm like, everybody fills the part the way they're supposed to, yeah. um, and I, I like that it lets you live in the world. It's you know, it doesn't. It's not stopping to explain why the CIA is linked with the Guardians of the Globe or like who like who Cecil is and how did he get here and blah blah blah. You just it's very in media res. Here's the world. But you're gonna follow Mark. Yeah, you know, and you get it. You pick up on what's going on. Like, okay, Cecil is the head of this this organization, and like, this is that's all you really need to know, right? Is like it doesn't mm-hmm. really need to know the ins and outs and the history of it and whatever. Like, it's just you get it, you get it, and you go. That's right. Forward from there. Yeah, and a lot of times you really don't even need to know everybody's name. And I think that's when it comes to superheroes. Like, we take for granted that we know a lot of people that show up. Like, if you watched Infinity War, you can be like, oh, well, that's Falcon, that's Captain America, and that's Iron Man, and that's Star-Lord, and that's Gamora, and that's Nebula, and that's this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But when you're not familiar with the world, you're like, that's the lady that is the shade of a blueberry. Right, right. that's the lady who is the shade of a lime. I I mean, there's even the episode where Adam Eve is like, no, I'm not Monster Girl, I'm Adam Eve, I'm the pink one. Um, she literally yep. says, I'm the pink one. Um, I, I think that that's actually something that in sometimes I think I felt this way when I read Invincible, the comic is that I felt a little over, I've mentioned this before. I feel a little overwhelmed by all the characters and I'm sort of like, am I supposed to be invested in all of them? Cause there's 10 of them and I all met them at once and I don't, and they all kind of seem like just, you know, uh, uh analogs for the justice. Stereotype. League, yeah. You know? They're just, they're just a stereotype. Right. Yeah. But, um, this show does that a little bit differently where they, they really, there are, there's a big group of supers who you could if you really cared you could stop and try to learn all of them and their powers and their names and everything but it doesn't really matter it's sort of like oh yeah there's the quirky one and the robot and this one and the one who can transform and the one who does this and okay cool got it um yeah and as the show goes because as the comic goes some of them fall by the wayside some of them you know like some of them you care about you end up caring about more but the show is a 
you follow Mark, but it's really an ensemble piece it is. because because everybody's like, at, like um, Eve's got her own story going. Mark's got his story. Robot's got his story. You know, and like you might see the Mahler twins, and like, do you care about them? Do you not? But you know, like it lets you choose who you want. I've got um, I've got a former student who I'm I'm friendly with. His favorite character was Cecil. Like at the end, he was like Cecil. Cecil's the coolest, and like that's like that's that's your prerogative. I can see that. That's great. I can see that. Yeah, Cecil is great. Cecil is excellent. But at the end of the day, for any of these things, I always say like any kind of ensemble piece, whatever. You still have to care about the main character, and I think Stephen Yeun does a great job, and the show does a great job at making you care about Mark yes. and Mark's choices, and like what does it mean to what does it mean to have responsibility and powers and you know, how would you react in this situation and this one and this one and this one and this one. So even though you do care about like Eve might be your favorite character, but you still care about, you still care about Mark. Yes. Like, you know, Hermione might be your favorite character in Harry Potter, but you still have to care about Harry a little bit. Of course. Otherwise why keep going? Of course. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I, I love, I love all of that. And I, I th- that's like, that's a great, that's a great comparison is like, you might have a favorite um, supporting character, but like the story is, is the main character story. And so like, if you're, mm-hmm. it's almost like if you're bought into this, this, the supporting character, it's through the lens of, what that supporting character means to the primary character in a, in a lot of Correct. ways, not entirely, but, but in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. I also think, I think that the whole, like the teenage dynamic of invincible in general and, and, you know, and the way it's portrayed in this show is, is the thing that when I first read it um, was compelling to me in the same way, like I said, that also, uh, that all-star, almost an all-star Spider-Man, uh, that ultimate Spider-Man, <laughs> Um, you know, drew me in when I first read that. But now, watching this, revisiting this story, this property, as an adult, um, it is I have a completely different like that. That stuff is fun, and and then and, and they they handle it well. But I found that like the uh, Mark, I'm sorry, the um Nolan and Debbie dynamic, the parents, um, and mm-hmm. then Nolan and Cecil, and like the adult dynamics were much more interesting to me now than they were when I read this basically as a kid. Yeah, it is pretty, it is, I do find it's interesting, like where my, where my interest goes now, where I'm used like, so when I was a kid, like how hard can Superman punch something? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like, and how, how like what cool thing can he do and fly away and spin around and this and blah, blah, blah. And then I think like if I saw Superman returns, as I feel now, he doesn't throw one punch in that movie, and I go, "That's okay. Yeah. I don't need him to do yeah. that. I don't really need him to do anything." And that's that's so different than how I used to see things. And that's like I'm way like to your point, I'm way more interested in what the adults in the room yes. are doing. And I feel like that's sort of the the um, I feel like comic book fans in as a as a population to to overgeneralize here have matured in what because because we've we've gotten we've gotten the as far as comic book readers go yeah we've definitely yeah to a certain degree as as comic book movie fans have gone but like we we we've gotten what we we always wanted like i just want to see these two hash it out and have a fight and like we've seen plenty of that now we've seen tons mm-hmm. of that we've seen many a city you know destroyed by a superhero fight um and now i think many of us are finding that nuanced approach more interesting to where like 
you'll have episodes of these Marvel shows that are and and invincible where it's like it's more about the conversation and the interpersonal dynamics we always talk about like some of the best superhero stories are the ones where they're just having a conversation they just happen to be in costume correct correct you know it's funny i it's funny you you say like the marvel shows like you know some of them they're just standing around having a conversation you're like that's good television that's good superheroing because they Knowing the knowing the nuanced approaches, the punch isn't always necessary, and and that's important. But sometimes it yeah. is necessary, and when you earn the fight, it makes the fight more watchable. Totally. Um, it's not just fighting for the for fighting's sake. It's almost like the beginning of the. It's like the first episode of Invincible versus the last episode, and like what fight is actually worth having. Um, and at one point, and what I really like about Invincible on the whole is that it deals with consequences, whereas like a big criticism of the MCU is that there really isn't a lot of consequence to what happens, like these universe ending events. And you're like, hey, everything's pretty much going back to the, the way that it was. You know, yeah, there's some differences and we're dealing with some things, you know, and things are a little bit different, but it's fine. You know, like, yeah. you know, yeah. people come back, people, you know, whatever. And, and, but, uh, but if, if a building comes down, that's a big problem. Right. And here's why. If, you know, like um, Cleveland get gets wiped out, that's a problem. And here's why. Um, and I, I like I like that nothing ever gets brushed under the rug. Like the time for that. And they even kind of talk about this in the show is like that the time like they're trying so hard to brush stuff under the rug and it's just not working because the time for that has passed. And I I. I really like that concept and not to say that I always want that in superheroes because like the, my mainstream superheroes, my Superman's, my Batman's, my you know Captain America's, my Spider-Man's, Iron Man, whatever. I like that it re reverts to the status quo because that means I'm going to get more stories yes. with them. You, I never, the perpetual second. Act. Yeah, exactly. Like I never really want those to end. Just please keep going. Like the Simpsons Bart's been in the fourth grade for 30 years. It's fine. Like, just keep going, whatever. Stories like Invincible allow you to deal mm -hmm. with consequence. And and that's what makes them... That's why Watchmen is interesting, because it used to be self-contained. You know, and... and But but even in the stuff that you you see moving forward with the, some of the new Watchmen stuff, it still deals with consequence. What is the... Like, what is the... Um, you're fleshing out the world, but you're still dealing with the same problems. And and that's what I think the greatest strength of Invincible is. But it, the animation is beautiful, but it's not for the faint of heart. Correct. So. Correct, yeah. I'll say that that finale, the, the season finale episode was probably my favorite of the of the season. It really built mm -hmm. up really nicely. And it's the most violent as well. But like you said, that violence was earned. Those those fight scenes were earned because it's it is the culmination of of eight episodes of buildup to these moments where you're seeing the consequences, of everything that's, that's happened up until now. And that's they did right. a really good job holding back on like Nolan's big reveal, holding that until the end um, mm -hmm. and, and using that as like a mystery for those who haven't read it, a mystery to like, why did he do what he did at the end of the first episode? And it sort of carries right. you through until you get to the finale when he reveals, you know, what, what's really happening. I do feel a bit that I wish that I didn't remember the book so well or that I didn't read it because I'm watching it. I'm not that I'm bored, but I'm like, I know exactly what's going to happen. 
Like it's a little bit different than like taking characters that I know and telling a new story or a new twist sure. on a story that I know. This is literally the story that I know and that's great and I'm enjoying it, but like I know why he did the things that he did and I know where it's going from there and blah 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 blah. So um that's my own personal um my own personal regret. I but. share that because I I remember just enough to, to where like all the major plot points, all the spoilery major plot points, I remembered. And it was more the details that I didn't remember all of. So I was sort of watching to, to remind myself of, of, of the little details in between the big plot points. Mm -hmm. It's such a double-edged sword, though, because we're like, oh, show me something new but similar. Like, what? I know. You know, know. like, you know, like, oh, show me the thing that I love. Here's the thing that you love. Eh. I don't love it. I know. You, you know, know, our friends, and then he, our friends, Justin and and, and Trent and, and uh, Hunter had a really good conversation on their new Star Wars podcast, Protocol Thirteen, where they were talking about adaptations and like how close to the source material should it be, and like if it's too close, then it's almost like, well, then what's the point of watching it? I'm just watching the same story again. But if it's not close mm -hmm. enough, then it's like it's not what I remembered, and so it's not that familiarity. It's a really interesting double edged sword. You're right. Yeah, I think about the 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 Lion King remake like as like a thing like it's pretty much exactly the movie uh, from the '90s. It just takes a lot longer to get mm -hmm. there. My my wife and I just watched the first twenty five minutes of it, um, just out of curiosity, like oh, has the animation, blah blah blah. Like let's twenty five minutes is uh, it's not, it's just at the end of I just can't wait to be king going into Elephant Graveyard. And I did okay. So what's twenty five minutes into the in the nineties yeah. movie, and it's right after the dad will always be together, oh right? And so I'm like, ooh, tough, tough call, tough, tough, tough scene to walk in on. Um, but like, I'm like, wow. So I have a a very good amount of time. When you're telling the exact same story, but you're telling it at like, you're telling it at. 0.75 speed to what I'm used to, that's not great. That's not a great thing to do. That's too much adherence. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think you're but I think what Invincible's doing is almost the opposite, where it's like, I'm gonna give you the big plot points and we're gonna move it and we're gonna we're gonna move it and groove it. Because who knows how many seasons we're gonna get out of this. Right. So right. yeah. I'm glad that they have been greenlit for seasons two and three. Um I'm excited. For, for, for more of it, I, I will say I was, you know, early mid season, I was a little like, all right, let's pick up the pace here, guys. Like, this is kind of, I don't know if it's going to keep my attention. I don't know if this is going to earn a, an hour long slot in my week every week. Mm -hmm. um, and, and frankly, I let a few, I let a few weeks go by and I had to, to binge to catch up at the end, but I'm glad I did because I think it was worth it in the end. And, and I would, I would recommend this to anyone who enjoys this kind of, this kind of story. Whether you've read it or not, I would say definitely give it a shot and give it a couple episodes. Um, I think episode one will really draw you in. Um, and if you feel like it slows down after that, stick around till episode four at least before you decide to jump off the train. Yeah, it's a good way to it's a way to go. A couple of shout outs that um, we didn't talk about um, previously. Mark Hamill, always great oh, to see that's him. Right. Um, yep. Um, speaking, uh, Zazie Beats as Amber, um, I think also did also did uh, a great job. For a non-powered, you know, one of the only non-powered characters on the show really holds and her own. She carries own. a lot um, of the show, too. She does. She does indeed. Um, my question for you, um, what who was your uh in these eight episodes, not in the comic, but in eight episodes, like who besides Mark, who are you drawn to the most? Uh Eve. I like Eve a lot. Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Um 
I like Eve a lot, and and, and particularly Sandra O's oh portrayal of Debbie in this version. I really, yep. really, uh, I don't think I really paid much attention to Debbie in, when I first read it because, yep, I don't know, I was young and didn't think very much about the parents in in the scenario, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I really like Debbie. Yep. No, I think that's good. Uh, mine is Clancy Brown's Damien Darkblood, nice. the kind of the Hellboy, um, kind of the, the yeah the Hellboy avatar. I just thought well, that was great casting, and I just thought that was it was fun. It was really good. And so that's that's me. More Damien Darkblood won't happen, but whatever. <laughs> um, okay. I'm, I'm with I you. Just, like, that's what Hellboy's for. <laughs> yeah. See, that's what that's like an act for. That's what Hellboy's for. So anyway, Frank, it is a pleasure to see you as always. Tell us where people can find us. You can find us over at beerwithgeeks.com. You can find us at thoughtfulaudio.com. Thank you to everyone for listening to Save Me, the Smallville Anthology. I'm very, very proud of the work we've done over there. It's a documentary podcast documentary about the making of Smallville. Um, many of you have listened already, and I really, really appreciate all of you who've listened, left your Apple podcast ratings. I'm very, very proud of the work that uh, a few of us have done there. And uh, looking forward to cranking out new episodes for the next five months at smallvilleanthology.com. But you can you can find that show uh, and Beer with Geeks anywhere podcasts are found whether it's TuneIn or Spotify or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, um, all the various podcast networks and and directories, uh, you'll find all of our shows there. You'll find us at patreon.com slash thoughtbubbleaudio if you'd like to throw us a couple of bucks uh, to help us keep making new shows um, because we love doing it and we we appreciate all of you. Uh, I'll be back at Super Superman and Lois TV Talk starting this week as you're listening to this uh, because that show is spinning back up. So check that out on the network as well and uh, you can email us at beerwithgeeks at gmail.com or at beerwithgeeks on twitter if that's your jam nicely said it is my jam nicely said Mm. but frank let's go have our own individual jams for dinner and so until next time cheers. cheers